Excerpt from the trailer for the 1973 eco disaster sci fi movie, Soylent Green. What is the secret of Soylent Green? New York City, in the year 2022. Nothing runs anymore, nothing works, but the people are the same. And the people will do anything to get what they need. This is the police! What they need most is Soylent Green. The supply of Soylent Green has been exhausted. Return to your home! What is the secret of Soylent Green? The movie is set in the year 2022. True crime. Sex. Political conspiracy. Celebrity gossip. Murder. UFOs. Crooked officials. The occult. Assassination. Courtroom drama. Rape. Corporate scams. Scandal sheets. Hello everyone and welcome to Scandal Sheet. My name is Thad Helsley and I am joined by my amazing co-host from the great state of Alaska, Ellie. Ellie, how are you? I'm good. Um, I think you just need to include in your intro with the great state of Alaska, the great comma rainy state of Alaska, because I think we're going on month three now of just solid rain and clouds. But um, I know I always have a comment to make about the weather, but uh, yeah, it's the great rainy state of Alaska. Now I'm renaming it. <laughs> well, I mean, we were the, sort of the same thing uh, over here uh, for the past week, and it just broke after a straight week of rain. So, Well, that's because <laughs> of the hurricane. Well, okay, that's probably it. That's probably it. They don't have that problem in Alaska. <laughs> so, Ellie, today we're going to take a big fat bite into America's current food sensation. That being so-called plant-based foods. And after over 100 years of mocking vegetarians as crazy people, us omnivores are finally at least partially embracing the idea of a diet anchored in vegetables and fruits as well as uh, animal products such as uh, uh, beef, pork, fowl. Um, uh, so what we want to do is find out what the actual ingredients in these highly processed foods are and try to decide if they're more healthy than the animal products that we're are used to eating uh, and that they uh, apparently seek to replace. And also, just as importantly, how do they compete on taste? Now, we've got, you've got a taster uh, there with you. We've got, we've got one here as a guest. And then later in the program, we're going to be talking to a professional uh, nutritionist and dietitian, published author, and television personality. And we're going to be able to ask her questions about what she thinks about these products. So what do you think? I think it's really exciting to do this um, live taste test. And, you know, I don't think we've ever had this many guests on a podcast either. So um, I think it's going to be really fun to hear everyone's inputs. And then we get the live taste, live taste test. Um, for beef, we're doing an impossible Whopper and a regular Whopper from uh, the culinary uh, masters at Burger King. And then uh, we're going to have Susan <laughs> on for um, some comments probably about, you know, I'm, I'm going to be sure to ask her maybe uh, about the nutritional um, benefits of, say, Burger King versus 
another restaurant. Um, but, you know, regardless, they're all plant-based and uh, this is exciting. So I wonder if uh, any of our listeners will log on and um, view our faces on our YouTube channel as well, um, in addition to listening to the podcast. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. <laughs> and no episode would be complete without our artificial intelligence engine, Bernice. Bernice, glad to have you back. Thank you. I'm glad you are finally doing an episode on food. Fortunately, I live on pure electricity and a stream of electrons and protons are agnostic to the source that produced them. However, observing what you homo sapiens put into your mouths as food, it seems a miracle you have a lifespan that exceeds that of an earthworm. Well, Bernice, there's a wide variety of foods. You can go anywhere from a steak all the way to a Twinkie. And those are in fact what keep us alive longer than earthworms. (laughs) So before we get started, Bernice, can you tell us what a plant-based food is? A meat alternative or meat substitute, also called plant-based meat or fake meat, is a food product made from vegetarian or vegan ingredients, eaten as a replacement for meat. Meat alternatives typically approximate qualities of specific types of meat, such as mouthfeel, flavor, appearance, or chemical characteristics. Plant and fungus-based substitutes are frequently made with soy such as tofu, tempeh, and textured vegetable protein but may also be made from wheat gluten as in seton, pea protein as in the Beyond Burger, or mycoprotein as in corn. Meat alternatives are typically consumed as a source of dietary protein by vegetarians, vegans, and people following religious and cultural dietary laws. However, global demand for sustainable diets has also increased their popularity among non-vegetarians and flexitarians seeking to reduce the environmental impact of meat production. Meat substitution has a long history. Tofu was invented in China as early as 200 BCE and in the Middle Ages, chopped nuts and grapes were used as a substitute for mincemeat during Lent. Since the 2010s, startup companies such as Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat have popularized pre-made plant-based substitutes for ground beef, patties, and vegan chicken nuggets as commercial products. So Ellie and our audience, we have two food tasters with us today. One is a return guest, which our listeners will remember from the Sarah Palin episode, Joe Duffus. Now, Joe's day job is with the Government Accountability Institute, GAI, but Joe is actually a foodie and an award-winning competitive cook. So, welcome back, Joe. Thanks for having me, Thad. It's a pleasure to be here. And then, Ellie, can you introduce our uh, second taster, who is sitting right next to you? Yes, sitting right next to me. This is my husband, Paul, and uh, he is also a foodie and competitive cook, not award-winning, just with us in the kitchen. It's always it's it's always a competition if I'm winning. That's my that's my line. Is it's not a competition unless I'm winning, and so that's why Dave can't be an award-winning cook. It's because if I'm there, then I'm winning, um, and so he's going to. Uh, help us do a taste test as well (laughs) as the way it should be right in all in all male female relationships so (laughs) so ellie can you go ahead and um manage this tasting uh event for us i can all right so here's how we're gonna do it uh joe i want you to go first And Joe, you're going to take a few bites of each um, plate. So each tester has Whoppers on identical plates. They both look identical. We did some, you know, site testing beforehand to make sure that nothing looks different. And um, I know for Paul, which which one is um, the impossible 
burger. And then Joe, you said your plates are marked underneath, which one is impossible. Yeah. So go ahead and um, take a bite of each one really, you know, I, I would say really quick, but take your time and really feel it out, feel out the textures and the smells and, um, you know, give us your thoughts, but don't say exactly, you know, which one is which right out of the gate. You know, I took a nice big bite out of the first one. All right. So, Joe, tell me your thoughts about that first bite that you just took. My first, my, my suspicion is that this is the Impossible Burger, the one that I just took a bite of. I haven't tried the other one yet. Um, it was good, and it tasted substantial the way you, you expect something to taste when it's meat. Um, the thing that I noticed, and this is what makes me think that it's not the beef one, is, and this is a little odd, the way it stuck to my teeth was different than the way beef sticks to your teeth. You know, when you bite into something and it starts to crumble in your mouth as you chew it, um, little pieces of whatever it is you're eating will stick to your teeth. And you have to do that little move with your tongue to kind of clear it off as you go. And it felt different. The texture of it felt different as I was sort of taking it from my tongue into the main part of my mouth to, to chew it and swallow it. All right. So that's what makes me think that what I just tasted was the Impossible Burger. But I'm going only on texture, really. The taste of it was what I expect to have when I bite into a burger, especially a, a, a Burger King burger. Because you know going into it, what that's going to taste like. You have a good, you have a good uh, history with it. All right. So now I'm going to take a bite on the second one. And these are both dressed identically the, the regular way. So there's pickles and tomato and lettuce on here. And this one, I'm pretty sure is the beef, the regular Whopper. It has the same the same texture that you would expect from a beef patty. It has the texture that I would expect. Um, the feel in my mouth was the same, um, and it had a it had a slightly it had a slightly sweeter taste to it than the first one. Okay. The first one seemed to be a little more savory. The one on the, the second one that I just took a bite of was also savory, but it had a little bit of a sweetness to it. And um, I would eat either of them. I wouldn't reject one out of hand, but I think I prefer the second one. All right. Well, in that case, before you look at which one is which, I'm going to go ahead and have Paul taste his and then maybe you guys can compare notes and um, comment on different ones and then um, and then we'll do the big reveal. So Paul, go ahead and take a bite. All right. Finally. <laughs> He's been waiting for this. So he just. Okay. Well, right off the bat, my observation is that's a whopper. You know, that's exactly what I would expect. So there's no like red flags right off the bat. It doesn't seem. Okay. I'm, I know I'm going to sound exactly like Joe here. But I also think <laughs> that I'm maybe getting these in the same order because 
I noticed immediately, like when I bit into it, I didn't get that initial kind of resistance with my teeth as I went to go like slice through this burger. And the flavor was the same though. I feel like if I weren't supposed to be doing this test, I'd probably just like devour this thing on my 30 minute lunch break and not, <laughs> not second guessing at all. But, um, no, it, it tasted good, but I, I think it's, and I had to guess right now, I think that would be the impossible because again, the texture. And for some reason, I'm not getting that kind of like flame broiled taste as much. Like there's a little bit of like a lingering after effect now that I've been talking for a few seconds. It is like it disappeared really fast. Like the flavor was exactly what I would expect, but it seems like it's already kind of gone. I don't have that lingering beef flavor going on here. So should I try number two? Yeah, go ahead and try number two. No, you make a good point because the um, the thing that, that distinguishes Burger King from, let's say, McDonald's is that they actually have a grill with flame as opposed to just a fryer. Right. Uh, and I worked at a McDonald's when I was in college, and so I, I know of which I speak. So. <laughs> <laughs> you are an expert in uh, how burgers are cooked. Unfortunately. You are also yeah. a food, foodie and award-winning competitive chef, Thad. Yes, Joe and I have worked together numerous times in in the rain and the sun and not the snow, maybe, but uh, certainly uh, many, many chili cook-offs. We were actually invited to the world championship one year. All right. Yeah, yeah. It turned out to be the same year that Lehman Brothers uh, caused the whole world to uh, collapse financially, (laughs) so we didn't go. (laughs) Okay. It was also Joe's wedding anniversary, so that was another reason. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> well, so I finally just uh, swallowed my second bite here on uh, Exhibit B, I guess we should say. And uh, I'm feeling even more confident in what I said originally. I really believe that the second one that I'm trying here is the beef because it just had a little mm. bit more resistance when I went to bite into it. And that flavor is still kind of lingering in my mouth a little bit more, like that kind of classic sweet, savory, a little bit smoky, flame-broiled, Burger King signature taste is still hanging out there. So I'm I'm very confident in saying that this is the beef, and I probably okay this one. This is what I'm used to. This is a little bit more the norm. Okay. So. Joe's, Joe, you're, you're doing a, a second try just to make sure, huh? Mm-hmm. You must be hungry, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is exhibit A I've got in my mouth. I think, um, a question to ask too, and we can discuss this a little more after, um, we reveal which one is which, but I don't, I don't know if it was the same way in Virginia, but at least up here in Alaska, the impossible burger was more expensive than the regular burger. And so I think a question is, is it worth the extra money? Does either of them taste $1.19 more expensive than the other one? That is a good question. It's funny how when you remove something, somehow it gets more incrementally expensive by having, you know, it's like, (laughs) oh, you want the product without the trans fats? Yeah. Well, if we take them out, we're going to have to charge you 15 to 20% more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, didn't it cost something to put them in in the first place? I don't know. <laughs> uh, oh, the other thing I wanted to ask you guys before you, um, before we reveal which is which, was did you guys come to this with any pre uh, de- 
existing biases either for or against the whole idea of plant-based foods. Do you think it's a, just a marketing stupid gimmick? Do you, do you think it's a good idea? I mean, what, I mean when you first heard about it, did, what were your feelings or do you not have any? Joe, you want to go first? I would say you know, I'm I'm a man of many prejudices, and and vegan food is one of those prejudices. <laughs> um, it's not that I it's not that I won't eat it; it's that I'm suspicious of it, um, and it has to win me over. And I, I guess when the when the idea of meat substitute uh, came out as, you know, something that we're going to present to you as if it were meat and it cooks like meat and it chews like meat and it tastes like meat, flavor right? it yeah. like meat, yeah. uh, and, and so on. My immediate answer was, well, why don't I just eat meat? <laughs> Cause and it's healthier. Is that the all reason? That other stuff. Okay. So you make the health argument and you say, okay, it's, it's, you know, there's less, uh, animal fat, there's no animal fat, so it's going to be healthier for you. And, um, you know, that I'd be willing to accept. The, the health benefit side of it, I'd be willing to accept. When you make the sort of political argument about it's going to stop the planet from getting warmer. Right, right. My response is, bullshit it is. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I, you know, I think as a, a as a health related thing, um, you know, I'm more than happy to consider it. And if uh, if I went somewhere, a restaurant that I trusted, for example, and they were going to serve me meatballs made of impossible meat, you know, I wouldn't reject it out of hand. I wouldn't say, oh, no, send it back. You know, couldn't possibly do that. I might give it a go. Are you saying that Burger not... King is a restaurant that you trust? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I have to say that because I've been going there for so many years. We all have expectations of what Burger King is going to taste like, and especially a place like Burger King where you expect it's going to taste the same anywhere that you go, and there are restaurants, Burger King restaurants everywhere. So you, you go in there knowing that it's going to taste a certain way and you have a very strong expectation when you go, as opposed to just going to somebody's restaurant that you've never visited before and putting yourself at their mercy. And that, I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, that is the attraction of a franchise type operation that no matter where you go in the world, you can go to Red Square in Beijing and the Burger King is going to still taste like it does here pretty much. So yeah, that's the idea. Paul, Theoretically. What were, what were your um, biases going into this? Well, I, I'll just be totally upfront. I definitely have a couple because one, my mom's side of the family are traditionally generational cattle ranchers. They run a currently a cow calf operation in Texas, raising Solaire Angus Cross cattle. So if I get this wrong, by the way, there's a lot on the line. I think I might get disowned and cut out of the will. So I'm really <laughs> hoping. You know, I'm glad you guys don't have a heart rate monitor on me right now. That's good. So um, I've got that bias. The other bias I have, and maybe it makes me a, a better type of tester here, I also hunt a lot. So I've been eating predominantly I would say 90% of what you and I eat, Ellie, is, is game meat. So 
I'm a little bit out of touch with beef because I eat so much game meat. So for me, what I eat is less about... 90%? Did you say 90%? Yeah, we eat a lot. I mean, between the, the salmon moly. up here as far as like fish and halibut, and then also um, sicka deer and moose. And then hopefully a little bit later this season, I'll get a caribou as well. So especially when it comes to ground meat, you get so much out of your hunting. Um, I mean, if we cook a burger at home, it's going to be a moose burger or a deer or it's going to be caribou. It just almost without fail. I can't remember the last time you and I just bought ground beef at the store. So yeah. the reason, the reason I brought that up though, is that for me, when we talk about like the source of the proteins, it's a little bit different for me because it's not just the nutrition side of it. I have a little bit different connection with the burger that I make at home because it's, it's kind of the final step in an experience for me and, and like a final end to the hobby, you know, the final closing act. So, um, I would have probably bias towards true, it seems weird I have to clarify this, meat. It's from an animal. Um, but I would have probably a bias towards that. With that said, also with the background of having family in the cattle industry, there are some legitimate reasons of why we're trying to come up with alternative meats. I understand that. And like no one's trying to ignore that in the beef industry is what I am gathering from my family. Like there are some legitimate reasons why we're trying to do it. Some of it's political, environmental, health concerns. Part of it, though, too, is that there's a lot of talk in agriculture, just how do we feed a growing world? So I don't think that this is just... A well, that is the... Yeah. I mean, if you stick with the projections of population growth, at some point, it become it may become prohibitively expensive for everybody to be eating animal products, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, we also did a little bit of research the other... Uh, last night about... Um, you know, soybean versus beef um, exports in the United States. And so Dave, correct me, or I'm sorry, uh, Paul, correct me if I'm uh, wrong on any of this, but um, <laughs> the, maybe we can cut that out. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong yeah. on any of this. So the, the top um, agriculture cash crop, or not, I'm sorry, not cash crop, but commodity. cash commodity in the United States is cattle and calves, but the top export is soybeans. And so, right. it's, you know, the, the third soybeans are number three when it comes to, you know, the value of production, but there are number one export. And a lot of that goes to, um, you know, China and um, like Asia just for, you know, making tofu and soy milk and things like that. So I think um, it's interesting. Dave brought up, um, we, <laughs> I can't forget that he's, uh, an alias. Um, so Paul brought up an interesting um, point the other night about how there's a lot of patriotism sometimes around cattle ranching and you know the beef, beef industry. Beef is what's it's, for dinner. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and, yeah. The, love those commercials, man. But at the same time, too, I mean, there should be a lot of patriotism in soybeans. They're number one export. That's a huge. That's a huge part of the economy, and that can't really be ignored either. Right, and I grew up in uh, uh, at least half my childhood in a in an intense farming state, Illinois, and uh, I didn't live in Chicago. I mean, Chicago obviously is an urban area, but the rest of that state, you know, and it's a pretty big state, is pretty much ninety um, percent. It is it is planted, and when I first got there in the nineteen seventies, it seemed like you know you would drive these long, lonely highways, and a lot of it was corn, yeah. good old corn. Now you go there today, the whole state is soybeans. Mm-hmm. 
Right. That is the cash crop. And, um, you know, and there's a lot of, you can do more with soybeans than just eat the, um, the product. They make plastics out of soybeans. They make all kinds of things out of soybeans. Yeah. So um, it is that you're right. I mean, that is a, I mean, isn't there a also a farmer? Isn't there also a, uh, an aspect to soybeans that it's a good rotational crop? It, it is. It's what's known as, it's that. what's known as a nitrogen crop. So it'll actually, right. if you plant soybeans in a rotation, it'll actually restore nitrogen levels into the soil, which is a little bit different than, than corn. You know, if the prices are relatively similar between corn and soybeans, which they aren't, you know, corn's more expensive. But if they're close, a lot of times, economically, you might be better off to grow soybeans for two reasons. One, you'll restore your soil so that maybe in the next year, if you did want to plant corn, you'll get a better yield. Um, mm-hmm. But then also, two, it's less intensive to grow. It's less intensive for water. It's less intensive for fertilizer. So, And those are two buzzwords right now that you're hearing a lot of, especially with what's going on in the West. Water's a big issue in any part of the, you know, the West oh, yeah. of the United States. And then a lot of your fertilizer comes from a petroleum-based product. So if you're eating an Impossible Burger made out of something that's grown from a petroleum-based fertilizer, is it really that much more green? And that would be a question for someone who has more of a scientific background than I do. We didn't get that expert. We didn't get the climate change expert. Joe's going to have to be our guy on that one. So. <laughs> well, and then one more one more comment before we do the big reveal and then bring on Susan for the nutritional aspect of these burgers um, is that, you know, we talk about how, you know, soybeans um, and, you know, corn um, are also big, you know, crop um, products in the U.S. agricultural industry. But we you know, not all land is suitable for growing soybeans um, or, you know, corn or anything. So it's important to note that as well when they talk, you know, when you see a lot of these statistics about, you know, oh, we could use, you know, X amount less land if we removed all the cattle from the United States or something. Well, it doesn't mean that you can necessarily just go on that same land that the cattle were, you know, um, grazing on, right? And yeah, well, you, can I kind of interject yeah. there? Not only is corn and soybeans not only interchangeable on a piece of, let's just call it farmland, but also there's a lot of the United States where it wouldn't really be good for intensive farming, but it's really good for pasture land for cattle, even if it's relatively low yield. Like mm. you think of most of the state of Wyoming comes to mind to me. A lot of sagebrush, fairly dry, windy country. It's still not the most productive yeah. cattle ground, but dang, you know, you're not just going to till up the sagebrush and start planting soybeans there. It's just too hostile of an environment. So for that land, the best thing that we can get from it, honestly, is probably cattle or sheep. That's what you're going to see up there. You're not going to see rows of corn out in the middle of the state of Wyoming. So if that's what it's best used for, shouldn't we eat that resource? Shouldn't we partake in growing beef there and, and use that to at least a certain extent? It's not totally interchangeable with crops. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. no, very sensible. Yeah. So with that, should we do the big reveal? So with that, drum roll, please. All right. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm taking off the sticky from burger number one. And it is the impossible burger. I guessed it right. He's off the hook. You guessed it right, <laughs> Joe. Right. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> All right, and now we'll see if Paul is written out of the family will. 
Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. So the plate that had the dimple in the bun, which was this one, mm-hmm. is your impossible burger. Okay, cool. And he was right. right. He was right. <laughs> No, he was, he you were both right. Okay, so so it's it's detectable. I mean, it it, it um, as Joe pointed out, I think the the idea was to make it as much like an actual beef product as possible, but it's not indistinguishable as they originally wanted it to be. Right? They even said in that article you sent me, Ellie, um, when you if you cut into it, it actually you know the red juice that comes out is supposed to look like a medium rare burger. Right, so yeah. What is that red juice? It's a it's hema. It's a, it's a, I can send it to you. It's a part of what we're going to talk to Susan about is the fact that they use this certain soy byproduct, which is like a multi-syllabic name with about eight syllables, and it's a GMO. So, and it's mixed with some kind of yeast, and that's what that's what provides the. It helps to provide the flavor, I guess. And so it's not the it's not the blood of our enemies. <laughs> <laughs> that would be patriotic. <laughs> yes. Um, but here's no. That would be good, though. But here's another question for both. Hear the lamentations of their women. <laughs> here's here's a, a question for both Joe and Paul. Is not everyone is going to go to Burger King and just order an Impossible Whopper and a regular Whopper and do this blind taste test. So if I had just, if, you know, Joe, if, if you had been at work and you said, hey, you know, run to Burger King and get me a Whopper, I'm, you know, crunch for time and I brought you an Impossible Whopper, would you have been able to tell that it wasn't a Whopper if you were only tasting the Impossible Whopper? Well, after you told me what you'd done, I would have gone outside and slashed your tires. (laughs) (laughs) So we might not be on speaking terms after that. Uh, No, I I would never, like I said, I mean, as a confirmed meat lover, I would never, uh, I would never bias a choice in favor of a plant-based burger instead of a real burger. If, If you have the choice, you're just... You're going to choose the the real burger every time, I think. Okay. Um, you would do this under doctor's orders. You know, if I <laughs> if I go to my doctor and he says, you know, your triglycerides are, to the, are through the roof and it, you really need to cut back on animal fat and red meat and so forth, you know, eat the damn impossible burger if you have to go get a hamburger somewhere. Get the impossible burger and you know, that'll keep you alive for a What, what he doesn't tell you is that he has a 20% stake in the next impossible burger and that's why. <laughs> exactly. What, and, what, and, I, and I did find out that Bill Gates is an investor in the impossible burger company. Okay. Um, who's Bill Gates who's also behind uh, another investment you know, in alternative proteins that's been uh, that's been uh, ridiculed as like eating the maggots. Oh, like the crick, like the bugs, the crickets and the bugs. Right, right. Um, right. Well, what what about you, Paul? If I had gone out and grabbed you lunch and just grabbed you an Impossible Burger and didn't tell you that it was Impossible Meat, how would um, I feel about it? Yeah, well, not how would you feel, but would you be able to know? Like, would you have just eaten it and thought, oh, that's a Still a disappointing burger from Burger King. <laughs> well, I probably would have been hungry enough 
to just devour it and not give it a whole lot of thought. That's just, okay. that's just being totally honest. Um, I'd like to think that I would have been able to pick up on it. And yeah, I think I'm like, I'm with Joe on this one. I consider myself a meat eater. I would have been like, oh, really? You got me, you got me the fake stuff? I didn't get the real stuff, you know? He would have slashed um, my tires, but then joke's on him. He has to go replace them. With that, with that said, <laughs> and this is not a dig on Burger King, it is, it is, it is a fast food product. If you were to make this for me at home in like a half pound burger where you're getting a lot more meat, I really think I'd be able to pick it up then, 100%. But no, if you just got me the Impossible Burger, dropped it off at work, it's sitting in the sack, it's been off the grill for 15 minutes, I'm probably just going to eat it and I'm probably not going to know a whole lot of difference. And I'm probably not going to feel a whole lot less satisfied. With that said, knowing what I know now, after doing the taste test, like I'm going to just order the regular burger. Sorry, I took a bite of your Great. Whopper right there. I thought you were going to talk a little bit longer. <laughs> so is there anything else? So we're going to move on to the next segment of of the episode, which is a um, discussion with our uh, dietitian, registered dietitian and, and food expert, Susan Greeley. But um, is there anything else that either of our tasters would like to either um, – say about their experience or just about plant-based foods in general? I mean, we've already had a pretty good conversation, but if, is there anything else we're missing? I guess, you know, with a, with a Burger King, like Paul said, you know, if, if you were eating um, like a home-cooked burger, you know, where, you, where it's going to be a little thicker and there's probably going to be less stuff on it than you get when you get a Burger King burger, you know, so much of, of what you think about with a, with a Whopper in particular are those nice big slices of onion and the tomato um, and the pickles, you know, and the, and the dressings that are on it, not just the burger. So I felt as though um, you can get away with an impossible burger in that kind of format because there with is With all so those much, condiments and things of that top. There's so much other that's stuff that's so much on. a part of the taste. Yeah. yeah, as long as the bun is the same um, right. and as long as the, the, you know, the vegetable slices are the same, um, it's harder to detect the differences when you bite in than it would be if it were just a raw burger. And I didn't put cheese on either of these just because I thought, you know, it, 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 it might have an effect on the consistency of it one mm. way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, Paul, did, did yours have cheese? Yeah, I got mine with cheese just because but, that's... But that, on both of them. Yeah, on both of them, just to make okay. it fair, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, I got on both of them because like, I've always been the guy to get a Whopper with cheese. So to me, I'm, I'm a cheeseburger yeah. guy, not a hamburger guy. So yeah, I went with the cheese and, um, and I, I was still able to pick up on it, so... Um, kind of like you're saying, I think it's a little bit interesting that the taste test right now and that the bar that Alternative Meats has set is trying to emulate a burger. And I think it's a really good starting place. But in the beef world, you have like the, the beef carcasses are graded. You have different grades of beef, different qualities. And beef producers aren't making their life's work to try and come up with a better burger. Beef producers are making their life's work coming up with a better steak. That's what's going to be judged, the actual marbling of the meat, the muscle itself. So, and we're obviously a long ways off from having an impossible steak. Although I must say I'm really impressed with how far they've come with a burger. But one of my kind of closing thoughts on this is I think it's great that we have an alternative to 
the burger. But the thing is, is we still have an addiction to eating a steak. If you're going to go out on a big celebratory meal as an American, you are very likely to have a steak. So if we're still going to be raising beef to have a steak, are we saving ourselves a whole lot by, by coming up with this alternative meat for the burger? Because the burger, honestly, is a byproduct. It's, it's everything that can't be used in a roast or a steak. We're going to put it into burger or sausages or something like that. So are we still going to be creating the same amount of meat? Because people are buying a lot of steaks at the store, which is good. I love steak. So that's kind of my other like little closing thought is I can kind of be convinced of everything else with the Impossible Burger, but are we still going to have to do it anyway just to get a steak? And that's something that I don't know. Yeah, it would take like some behind the scenes scientists to, to answer how far are we down the road of coming up with like an alternative steak that would be convincing enough. Like this is convincing enough to me as a burger, the Impossible Burger. But I think it's going to take a lot to, to emulate a steak and we can still pick up on the Impossible Burger. Yeah, and then when they sell it in the grocery store, like you're saying, it actually is packaged much like a pound of impossible whatever is looks just like a pound of beef. It's the same color. It's the same consistency. I mean, they're basically, I mean, they tell you what it is. And like you say, like you guys pointed out, it's more expensive than beef. But um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's like with, with the idea of like an alternative meat is now we don't have to have the animal product of that. But also, still, like, if I want to make this a vegan burger, I would have had to get it without mayonnaise. And it's no longer vegan. So, like, we're still having animal product in this burger unless I were to order it without mayonnaise. Well, that's part of the experience of having a Whopper. And, and the cheese. And the cheese, of course, right? Because I got mine with cheese. I'm like, yeah. oh, right. So, right, right. I think it's a good step. We're definitely not there yet. But it's fascinating to me, nonetheless. I wonder, you know, if I've, I've never had, like, the real deal... Kobe beef, um, you know, which I, as I understand it, comes to your plate and it's kind of a square and it's very, you know, it's, it's obviously very beefy tasting because of the way the animal was, was kept and, and maintained and massaged and all of that stuff. But I wonder if that wouldn't be a better target for the scientists who are trying to do innovative things with plant-based meat to go after rather than trying to, you know, duplicate the experience of a T-bone or a New York strip, yeah. you know, where, where it's, it is all about that different texture mm -hmm. and the marbling of the fat within the meat and all of that sort of stuff. But if you look at a piece of Kobe beef, you know, the, the real stuff, the stuff that people pay hundreds of dollars for, um, it just looks like kind of a little square. And I, I think because of the way the cow is, is massaged and so on, they're trying to meld the fat more smoothly into the meat. To me, that, that would be a better substitute for, for something that was plant-based. If you could make that taste the way a Kobe beef morsel would taste in your mouth, there'd probably be a better goal to shoot for yeah. than trying to duplicate, you know, a tomahawk steak. Right. Yeah, there'd be more complexity in that, ironically, even though that's kind of, yeah. I don't know if I want to give them the credit of them saying that's the holy grail of, of beef production, but from a consumer standpoint, it is. I mean, Kobe beef has a name for itself, so it'd be kind of fun. I'm sure someone's working on it in the alternative meats world. Well, on that note. Well, that's going to close the door on the Scandal Sheet 
butcher shop and also our greenhouse. For the very first time in our history, this episode will soon be available in video form on YouTube. So stay tuned. I want to thank my co-host, Ellie and Bernice, for their usual great work. We also want to thank Ellie's husband, Paul, for joining us as a taster and offering his great insights on the food industry. Last but not least, kudos to my great friend and colleague, Joe Duffus, for making a return appearance on the pod. Always appreciate it. Now, stay tuned for part two of this episode, which features our interview with food expert, author, and television personality, Susan Greeley. You definitely don't want to miss that. We hope that you'll follow or subscribe to Scandal Sheet on your favorite pod platforms and share it with all your friends. We'd also love it if you'd leave a shameless, over-the-top rave review on Apple Podcasts especially. That helps us build audience. And also, we want to hear from you! You can reach us online at ScandalSheetPod.com, Facebook or Twitter, or just send us an email to contact at ScandalSheetPod.com. We'll see you next time on Scandal Sheets! Copyright 2022. Thad Helsley Media LLC. All rights reserved.